The scripture today is from Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the only one to redeem, redeem Jerusalem. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what, they had, what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength and our salvation. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. The story that Carol just read is a favorite of so many. I imagine some of you have been on the walk to Emmaus. And this story is a very important one in our faith journey. It's interesting because it patterns our worship service where we walk along, where Jesus enters, where he breaks bread with us, and where we depart for service. But so many of those things are not possible for us now, for us to gather together, for us to, to share Holy Communion together, and indeed for us to do mission and ministry in many of the ways that we've done them throughout the years. 
but we can still love one another. We can still pray for our community and we are still glorifying God for we are not human doings, but human beings simply by being all that God has made you to be. You are glorifying God. This story reminds me of an older story, another story, a legend, about a king who decided to set aside a special day to honor someone, honor his greatest subject. And so they, his, his people came up with four people that they could um, look at to see if they might be the one to win this incredible honor. Then the first person was a very wealthy philanthropist. The king was told that this man was highly deserving of the honor because of his humanitarian efforts. After all, he had given much of his wealth to the poor. The second person was a celebrated physician, and the king was told that this doctor was highly deserving of the honor because he had rendered faithful and dedicated service to the sick for many years. The third person was a distinguished judge, and the king was told that the judge was worthy because he was noted for his wisdom, his fairness, and his brilliant decisions. The fourth person presented was an elderly woman, Everyone was quite surprised to see her there because her manner was quite humble, as was her dress. She hardly looked the part of someone who would be honored as the greatest subject in the kingdom. What chance could she possibly have when compared to the other three who had accomplished so much? Even so, there was something about her, the look of love in her face, the understanding in her eyes, and her quiet confidence. The king was intrigued, to say the least, and somewhat puzzled by her presence. He asked everyone who she was, and the answer came. You see, the philanthropist and the doctor and the judge? Well, she was their teacher. The woman had no wealth, no fortune, and no title, but she had unselfishly given her life to produce great people. There's nothing more powerful or more Christ-like than sacrificial love. The king had not seen her value. He missed the significance of the teacher. And often we miss the value of those around us. I think it would surprise us to know how often we miss the presence of Christ just as Cleopas and his companion had missed the significance of the stranger on this road to Emmaus. In this story, we are still on Easter Day. This is still Easter Sunday when this event happens. There have only been reports of the empty tomb. Cleopas and his companion were sad at the events that had taken place. When Jesus appeared, he first asked, what are you talking about? And then when they couldn't articulate it well, he said, you fools. And he interpreted the things about him in the scriptures that they could not understand. And they still couldn't see Christ for who he was in their midst. That sentence where it is said we had hoped was the saddest sentence of the whole passage. They didn't realize the power of what had happened in the Easter story. They were dwelling in that time of, of the death. 
they couldn't see the resurrection, the glory of what had happened, the fulfillment of prophecy, the, the, the victory of love over hate, of life over death, of the surety of Jesus Christ with us. And so they were sad. Jesus' response, of course, was that he opened the scriptures to them. And even that wasn't enough. They were so mired in their grief over what had happened. Interestingly, they asked him to stay and have a meal with him. And he did. I find it really interesting how this contrasts with what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus asked the disciples to stay awake with him, to pray with him, to stay with him, to be with him. And here he is, present to us no matter what. Even death could not keep him from being at these people's side. It was a wonderful opportunity as he offered them bread, as he had previously in the upper room before his death. And then they recognized him as he gave himself to them. I often, when I'm doing the informal communion service at the 8.30 service in the chapel, I often talk about how this was Jesus' moment of comforting his disciples, reminding them that he would be with them always, giving his being to them in this gift of bread and wine, of his life force. Knowing Jesus and experiencing Jesus are two different things. Knowing of him and really knowing who he was. And I think that that experience of partaking of the bread and the wine, understanding God's forgiveness through this act, understanding the grace that is lavished on us through this act, is when they began to think, this is for me. This isn't just some theoretical thing that's happening. This is Jesus offering Jesus' self for me. I think that's a wonderful piece of this scripture. I think that's the key to when they began to understand, was when he offered himself for them, when he said, you matter to me. If you were with us last week, you may remember my little joke for Holy Humor Sunday about Forrest Gump, about God's name being Andy. And it remembers the hymn in the garden, which is written about this very passage. And it goes, And he walked with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. Now you see there? It happens right there again. He's walking with Cleopas and the companion, and he's talking with them, but it's not until he tells them they are his own, until he tells us we are Jesus' own, that we really begin to recognize who Christ is to us, who we are to Christ, right? That whole theme that we've been doing all year since July about who we are and whose we are. We belong to God. And in this act of resurrection, God has made it known that God is for us. Jesus has said, I am here for you, here for you through the body and the blood, here for you through the Holy Spirit, here for you through the ages, walking with you and talking with you in the garden, offering myself to you. It's, it's our identity. It's what makes us Christians, right? 
to actually be followers of Jesus. When we call ourselves Christian, when we believe ourselves to be followers of Jesus, we don't follow Jesus just because we think he said a few nice things or it's a, it's a nice story. It's because we are actually involving ourselves in the ministry. We're actually getting involved not just talking or discussing, but doing the ministry of Jesus. That's when Jesus is revealed in our midst. Experiencing the risen Christ does not come at the end of a lesson, no matter how well planned, or even a sermon, no matter how well delivered. There is something about faith that is made known outside the normal ways of knowing. It is in the breaking of the bread that the disciples finally see. That idea of seeing, you know, understanding, discerning what's going on, seeing that Jesus is actually present. You know, these past few weeks in this time of coronavirus, I found that I've seen a lot of things in new ways. Those of you who are friends with me on Facebook might have seen a post that I had about uh, a squirrel that was transferring her babies from one nest to another in my backyard and it was so funny the way she would hold them in her mouth and they were little balls and I didn't know if she was bringing nesting material or food or something and then all of a sudden she was kind of getting her balance in the middle of my lawn and the little baby sort of came unfurled and all the little legs and tail were all just wriggling and it was delightful and I saw her do this three times and who knows how many she had done before I began watching her. It was wonderful to have my eyes opened in that moment to the life that is going on around me. I see the cardinals outside my window, the daffodils blooming, and I think, my goodness, they have no idea about this coronavirus thing. They just know that they have been made to glorify God. They are just living and being all that they were meant to be. I have seen so many new things. I have spoken to neighbors that I never saw before because everyone is out walking in this neighborhood. They're walking their dogs, they're walking with their children, they're looking at the teddy bears in each other's windows, the chalk paintings on each other's driveways. It is marvelous and everyone says hello. Even people who don't know each other, who have never spoken before, are saying hello. It's our opportunity to be socially present when we are socially distant. I've seen new buds on the leaves. My forsythia has bloomed. It's glorious. There are new types of trees that I've seen. I've noticed new things about myself, new likes and dislikes, things that I'm thriving in in this time, things that are very challenging for me in this time, and about others around me. I've seen other nuances about the people that I come in close contact with on Zoom and, and through my, my everyday life. I notice the way people are creating their own style of masks. Some are colorful, some are plain, some are cool, <laughs> some are goofy. It's just wonderful. I've, I've noticed the way people are just connecting with each other. And I've noticed how food tastes good, even when it's scarcer and harder to get a hold of. We value things now more because we're paying closer attention to them. We're seeing them. As, those, as Cleopas and his companion did, as they saw Jesus, we're seeing things anew. Right now in our world, it's as though COVID-19 has enabled us to take a closer look at everything and everyone differently. For some, it's meant finding more to critique. 
For many, however, it has meant finding more to cherish about our communities and our relationships. It's about paying attention to the little things. It's about realizing that things matter. Often as human beings, we can get streamlined into seeing things only one way, through one lens, one vision. Seeing only certain people, seeing only from a certain perspective, it's as though we all wear a certain prescription type of glasses for the way that we view the world and each other. We all view the world through our own unique lens though, and like any lens, it's selective. It helps us to view things in the way that we are used to seeing them. So if you, like me, wear glasses or contact lenses, think of how the world looks different when you have them off. You feel like you can't see things clearly. For some of us, you may notice things look fuzzier or stronger, stranger. Yeah. So when you put those glasses back on, the world comes into focus. However, one day, if you were to go to the optometrist and discover that you haven't been seeing things as well as you were supposed to, it wasn't you after all, it was the lens, the doctor changes the lens and suddenly things come into sharper view. You notice things you're missing. The world as you see it changes. I think that we can develop a whole new set of eyes as the years go by in our discipleship too. A second sight that enables us to weather the storms of the world and see Jesus appearing to us in ways that we may have missed before. But that second sight too desires a new lens. And that lens is the scriptures. Like our physical eyes, our spiritual eyes can become complacent. But the church is comprised of those who have been led beyond disbelief to faith by the gracious revelation of God. Their repeated telling of and listening to the foundational story empowers them, empowers us, all of us, in anticipation of our mission to all the nations. That's us. We're the people who have moved beyond that disbelief to faith in the glorious revelation of God. And as we repeat this story, it just empowers us to go out and do that mission and ministry to the world. So how do we reveal the presence of Jesus in our midst? What are we doing in our lives that will continue to reveal Jesus to other people, people who are hurting in this world and really need that message of hope right now? Do we allow ourselves to be changed by the risen Christ? Or do we return to business as usual? Are we going to allow this time of coronavirus to change us so that we can do ministry in radically new ways? The answer is yes, <laughs> if you're looking for what the answer might be. It is a resounding yes. And I wish I could hear all of you from your living rooms shouting out, yes, we are going to let this time change us to do ministry in radically new ways. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.